The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Change is hard. <laughs> That's probably not news to anybody. <laughs> but all of us, I think, are, are living into a new reality, realizing that Nick is not with us uh, today. And it is quite coincidental, you'll hear in the prayers of the people, that in the, in the cycle of diocesan prayer, uh, we will be praying for St. Paul's of Linfield today. And this is actually uh, Nick's, Nick's, Nick's first Sunday will be next Sunday, but he's, uh, he's on their rolls as of today. But we miss him greatly, and that's one of the changes, I think, that we are having to sort through as a congregation. I, I thought back over the last couple of years, and I know that a number of you have uh, finally had to come to grips with the fact that you no longer could uh, be in a big house, even though that house had been good for you and your family for generations and decided you needed to downsize and move to another place and find another place to call home. And those changes are very difficult to deal with. But perhaps it's especially hard to change in the church. And I had a conversation many years ago with a priest friend who said that he believed that there was sort of an unconscious aspect to all of us that with all the change that was going on in our lives, we sort of wanted to set the church aside and say, all that can change, but this is not going to change. One thing that's going to stay steady. Well, I, I think time has passed enough that I can tell you a story that uh, might illustrate this a little bit. My first Sunday was the Sunday before Palm Sunday, 2003, my first Sunday here at Trinity. And uh, somewhere during the course of leading up to Holy Week and in Holy Week, <coughs> pardon me, I was uh, in conversation with a member of the altar guild in the sacristy in the chapel. And the person asked me, what do you think of the wine? And I hadn't really thought much about the wine, but I did. I had noticed that it was Mogan David. And for a good reason, I found out later, because uh, Mogan David is made of conquered grapes. So it really made a lot of sense. But 
this person said, well, you know, I've even had someone ask me uh, or say to me, they didn't realize that the Episcopal Church used grape juice for communion. <laughs> Obviously, this person didn't think much of the wine. So she asked, what have you used before? And my mind went back immediately to a congregation in South Dakota where a woman uh, that in the parish bought the altar wine and she always bought Harvey's Bristol cream. <laughs> I was secretly hoping for Harvey's Bristol cream. <laughs> but at any rate, we the conversation just went on and, it, and nothing really was was settled there. And, and the next thing I knew, uh, it was Easter Day and I was living in a fog at that point because everything was so new. I was preaching that morning, and both services, of course, were in the main church. And at 8 o'clock, I was standing at the altar beside the interim assistant, uh, and uh, uh, Lily DeYoung. And I looked at the chalice, and I realized that it was not red, but it was golden. And I thought, I think we've got dry sherry this morning. <laughs> now, I had just been in that chapel a couple of weeks before addressing uh, members of the congregation at, on my first Sunday at, at a forum. And I said, one of the things that I'm, I'll be very careful about, I'm not going to make any changes in the first year. <laughs> well, there's perhaps nothing more, more difficult to change than the wine you use at communion. Well, we served that wine all through uh, communion on Easter Day. And I uh, commented to a couple of people how surprised I was. And, and everybody was very gracious. And uh, then the next week, I received a note in the mail welcoming me to Trinity. And a very, very gracious note. And then at the end, it said, the wine is terminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you that story because in, in one sense, it was a beautiful moment because here was a person who really wanted me to feel at home, and, and that was her way of welcoming me, I'm sure. And the other, uh, the other aspect of it was that people were very gracious in not just, uh, you know, blowing up over the whole thing. But it does demonstrate how hard it is for us uh, to accept change in, in almost any form. Well, the reading that we had this morning from uh, the book of Acts is a very important one, but the problem with the way we have it in the lectionary is that without the context of the chapter, it's really hard to understand what that is about. It's a very important reading because it marks one of the important turning points in the early church. It comes at the very end of the 10th chapter of Acts. Now, that chapter begins with two very different men, both of whom have visions. The first is Cornelius. Apparently a prominent Roman warrior, a, a centurion of the Italian uh, cohort. And he is respected by the Jews of Caesarea because he is known as a man who fears God. And the scripture says, prays constantly and also was very generous in giving to the poor. But one afternoon he had a vision. An angel of God came to him. And said, you are to send for a man by the name of Peter in Joppa. And so he obeys and sends people to get Peter. Now, the next day, Peter is praying on a housetop in Joppa. 
And while he's praying, he becomes hungry and he asks for people to prepare some food. And while the food is being prepared, he has a vision. This is at midday. He has a vision. And it's a it's a huge sheet that is held in four corners. And the sheet is full of all sorts of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And at that point, Peter hears a voice and it says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter refuses. He refuses because he has never eaten anything unclean. And then the voice speaks to him again and says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. Now, to see how closely these two men are linked together, just about the time that he has this vision, the emissaries from Cornelius arrive at his house and are inquiring about a man called Peter. And he comes down and acknowledges that he's the one they're looking for. And so they take him off to Caesarea. Now, Cornelius is expecting him. Uh, You know, these are people of amazing faith when you think about it. And even though these stories are probably embellished over the years as they've been told and retold. But one of the things we see is is answering what they perceive to be the command of God, of the spirit of God, answering it without question, even though it seems really absurd. And so Cornelius, fully expecting that Peter will respond gathers his relatives together and his close friends. They're all gathered there waiting for Peter to come to the house. And sure enough, Peter shows up and he says to them, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. And then he asks Cornelius, why did you send for me? And Cornelius explains his vision to Peter and invites him to preach. And Peter, now I I think Peter, a good preacher, probably was prepared to preach. (laughs) I think he fully expected he was going to be preaching that day. So Peter starts to preach and he talks about the life of Jesus and, and about his death and his resurrection and starts to explain the good news. And then in the midst of that, the preacher is interrupted. The Holy Spirit begins to take over. And this is where the passage today begins. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon those Gentiles gathered. And Peter, his sermon, is interrupted. And one can imagine that Peter and all those who are with him must have been stunned at what was going on before them. They remembered certainly that first Pentecost when the Jews from all over the Roman Empire were gathered in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they started to speak in tongues and, and, and the, the apostles did. And we, they could see all of the movement of the spirit among the Jewish people. But what was different this time was that this was happening to Gentiles. And it's at this point that Peter says, is there any reason why we should not baptize these people? Peter had been moved by the Spirit to to a great transformation. Here was a man who was thoroughly Jewish, who perhaps at that time, before the Spirit engaged him, understood Christianity to be a sect of Judaism, that they would continue to be faithful Jews, that they they would be faithful to the dietary laws. And now he was faced with another reality, something he could never have imagined. And God was opening up the Christian faith 
to all with no restrictions. This was a turning point in the early church. And if the people who had been there at that time had not been open to the movement of the spirit, we would not be here today. Now, I think this has tremendous implications for us as we think about the Episcopal Church and especially as we think about the changes that have uh, transpired over the last 20 and 30 years. There's been a lot of change and it's not been easy. And I think uh, it is instructive for us to see in this lesson from Acts that when the spirit engages, it's not going to be easy necessarily. It will be disruptive. And it might even be disturbing. And I've thought over uh, the things that have happened over the past few years in our church. And, and I think it, it's a tribute to the church that we believe that God's revelation continues to this day. It is not closed. We believe that we must be open to the spirit and sense where the spirit is leading us. And it's pretty amazing when you think about it that. We as a church have been able to expand our horizons to move the margins further and further from the center. And if we had been closed to the spirit, we would not have women priests today. We would not have women bishops and certainly not a woman presiding bishop. And we would have been denied the wonderful ministry of Bishop Jean Robinson and the wonderful ministry of gays and lesbians throughout our church. We have been moved in an amazing way, and that's been because we have listened to the Spirit. But the movement of the Spirit is not just in the church. It's also in our lives. I think one of the hardest things that we deal with as Christians is how do we, how do we look at the gospel, understand the gospel, and connect that with our everyday life. Because so many times our everyday lives seem so messed up, they seem to have so much conflict, tension, all the things that we don't want to bring before God, that we keep those things apart. But if we listen to the Spirit, the Spirit will help us understand how the light of the gospel can be shown on these aspects of our lives, and they can be transformed. And so... We give thanks for the movement of the spirit within the church and perhaps especially within each one of us. God is good. God is good all the time. And the spirit is with us, moving us, enlightening us, helping us to see how we might walk following Christ day by day. And for that, we give God thanks. Amen.